You are listening to The Tape Deck. Here's your weekly review roundup for the week of August 5th, 2019. If you're a fan of Ty Seagal, he just put out a new record called First Taste, and guess what? There's not a single guitar on it. But you wouldn't know it because his melodies are as creative as ever, and his stuff is super inventive. We gave it a dark orange. It's fantastic. Uh, underground Chicago band Fucker Jr. put out a new record called I'm Sorry Mom and Dad. It's about 20 minutes long. Um, there's a big built to spill influence there, so if you like that band, go check that out. Super well-written, super catchy. It's great. Um, underground Detroit rapper Black Milk put out a new EP called Dive. It's his next project after 2017's Fever. That was a record that got a lot of deserved attention, and this one should as well. Got it like neo-soul chill-hop production, and his flow is more comped than ever. We gave it a deep pink. Go check that one out. And Bon Iver put out his new record early. It's called I, I. Um, It's nice. It's uh, just like 22 Million, but with a bit more gospel influence. Kind of warm. Super heady and cerebral. Go check that one out. We gave it a light green. Uh, that's your review round for the day. Go check it out at tapedeckpodcast.com. And now please enjoy the podcast. Today on the podcast, I've got with me Jason Lambeth. Uh, he has a tape label out of Madison, Wisconsin called Painted Blonde Tapes, uh, and they've been putting out a lot of cool stuff lately. And he also records under the name Red Pants. They've got a new album called Distortion and Snow. I'm going to put the link to the band camp in the description. Jason, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast here. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. How's the weather out in Wisconsin? Oh, it's it's pretty mild, uh, mid-80s. I think we're about to get a cool front moving in, which is going to be... I really Really hope to God, because the summers (laughs) that I spent in Wisconsin, it's been years since I've been in in Wisconsin, but I used to spend time out in Shawano, which I think is up north. I think. I'm not sure. And uh, the summers there would just get so humid and muggy and just awful. Yeah. Yeah. The humidity is a problem, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. It's it's a little humid out here in Seattle, a little bit. I don't know. It's been surprising, because normally it's it's cool, and uh, maybe it's just living next to the water. I'm not sure. Yeah, and some mountains nearby, too. Yeah, right? the mountains, the ocean, yeah. it's everything. Yeah, it's surprising. Yeah. Jason, have you been listening to anything cool lately? Um, yeah, I've been uh, I've been digging the, the new Florist album Ooh, quite a yeah. bit. Um, Emily Alone, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 I, I, you know what's funny is that there's so much of that kind of music that has been done before, so you got to do a lot. you got to do something special to really jump out of the crowd, but she she's done it. There's, yeah, there's there's just something really unique about like the way that she, I don't know, it's I don't know if it's the way she presents stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's like the diction it's, or something like that. You know, it's, like yeah, it's really incredible. Yeah, she chooses her words very carefully. Like it's you, yeah, you can tell. Like I'm not like a huge lyrics guy, but like I really appreciate like how much thought is put into these songs. It's yeah. quite amazing. Oh my goodness, um, I've been listening to something that I won't admit I've been listening to. But I've been listening to uh, uh, Chance the Rapper's new album. I gave it a shot. Um, it's long. And there's some oh. good stuff on it. Have you listened to that album? No, I haven't at all. It's been pretty controversial. Cause, really? You know, if, do you know a lot about Chance the Rapper? No, I do not. So he... I'm going to play like ignorant on this. <laughs> okay. So long story short, the guy made a name for himself off of his mixtapes. And he used the sort of laws of mixtapes where it was like, they're kind of free, but they're also technically full-length albums. Um, and he became like one of the most hyped uh, rappers in this decade, just on the strength of his mixtapes alone. And this album that just came out was his debut. And uh, it's been controversial because he sort of switched over to a style that was not necessarily as, I guess, arguably creative. Like a lot of it seemed kind of like 
rote and you know samey and yeah like middle of the road yeah middle of the road you know (laughs) i think it was really hyped up and uh it fell to a lot of people's standards you know i think there's some really good stuff on the album um but then there's also a lot of stuff that i did not enjoy so yeah well i'm i'm sorry man (laughs) it's okay let's let you down yeah i'll get over it you know (laughs) we all will you know um so to, well, there's there's so much other like great music to i know to it's like i mean there's just so much coming out these days yeah. it's unbelievable case in point um did you know that ellie smith ellie smith's um exo and figure eight his last two albums just got remastered uh for a deluxe edition that came out this week i actually in all this uh elliot smith talk no yeah i did not realize that, that. Des- exactly it's um so either or came out in 97 and it got remastered for deluxe edition in 2017. And since it's his 50th birthday coming up, or rather it just happened, um, they decided right. to re-release EXO uh, and Figure Eight and with all this extra stuff. And um, and uh, it's it's prescient, you know, considering that the legend himself turns would have turned 50. Yeah. Although I don't know about that existence because man, that kid was fucked. <laughs> like <laughs> seriously, like the oh. dude had problems. It's like, yeah, it's heartbreaking. I was like, just, I mean, just going through the Wikipedia, which was not like terribly, um, like, I don't know, informative, I guess. Um, but like, uh, like you could tell, like he had a rough childhood Mm -hmm. and like, and just a rough time all the way up until the end. Yeah. Well, it's funny because, um, this kid, so much of his work is based in the, the trauma that he experienced when he was a kid and, uh, the stuff he did to himself when he was a teenager and, um, the, his mental state and, uh, so much of his art is based in that explicitly, you know, you'll read the lyrics of a lot of his songs and, and the more he writes, the more he finally starts to get personal and, and, and explicit. And it's so hard to separate that from the artist in that regard, you know, which is makes, it makes his death like very, sadly fitting you know it's like when people knew he was on the up and up when it happened but and that made it surprising but it also didn't make it rather unexpected you know yeah i mean everything like reading up on his uh on his life it just kind of points and is heading into that that direction yeah i don't know it seemed like he was trying to like you know clean up like there, like right at the end mm-hmm. um and maybe from what i understand and the historians may prove me wrong, but like uh, just maybe going cold Turkey um, didn't work out for him. Yeah. It was kind of cold Turkey. If you remember, he went through uh, an experimental rehab facility where instead of what they normally give you, which is like detox drugs and like they make you go through that whole process and it's really harrowing and you go through a lot of withdrawals. What he did was um, he, they, they put a drip bag into his arm and IV uh, which was explicitly just amino acids and saline solution. And the goal okay. was to like replenish your body with the things that it's missing or something like that. There wasn't yeah, a whole yeah. ton of scientific evidence that had proven that it was effective, but it seems to help Elliot a lot. Um, at least according to him, we don't know what actually happened. And, um, but the other thing is that no matter how you end up kicking whatever habit you're on, especially if it's something like a hard drug, like heroin, you live with that for the rest of your life and um, considering his mental state and um, how he still hadn't been able to address the demons that have been haunting him his whole life. It just ends up coming back to bite you. You know, we see it happen to so many different people, especially 
more well-known people in the music industry and in the entertainment industry in general, you know? Totally. Yeah. But did you hear, I, this is like off probably a left turn, but did you hear that uh, David Berman passed away today? David Berman you know, of uh, Silver Juice? Uh, yeah. What the yeah. fuck? He died? Yeah. Yeah. Holy Sorry, shit. Sorry, I'm, I'm dropping this like uh, bomb in you. Really? I don't know. I have not heard about this. Yeah. I don't know if like, I, there was no, I don't think that there was any information about Oh my about fucking as to, God. As to how he, he just put out. Away, but... Oh my God. That's fucking. Yeah. That's so, oh my God. Yeah, it's like I mean, like, and you know, we're like listening. Oh like, my! I was listening I'm to, genuinely listening to Elliot Smith. And, Jesus! All right, yeah, well, um, we can talk about him a little later. But, holy <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to like. Uh, no, that I mean, it's relevant, really, to what it comes down to. Because yeah, I mean, like, like um, you know, I thought you know, I don't know. We can, yeah, you could talk about him later. Um, but, um, now I'm all addicted to like figuring out how he died. I won't talk. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's a guy who's been dead for a while. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. We can we can bring the train back. On, yeah, uh, on we might discuss here. it yeah. at the end, um, or we might save it for another podcast. Who knows? Um, okay. So, I think it, to celebrate Elias' legacy, I thought it would be cool um, to talk about the stuff that he put out under his solo career, which ended up being the, the stuff he was most well known for. Because when he started entering. Th- the public sphere, the underground sphere as sort of a prominent figure. He had his own band called heat miser um, mm-hmm. in the mid nineties. Did you ever listen to any of their material? No, I never really did. Yeah, I, I'm never, not terribly, I just like never went back to it. I'm not terribly familiar with heat misers discography. Um, just cause it wasn't something that, that had catch caught my interest, you know? Um, yeah. but a lot of the elements of the stuff that I've listened to, a lot of the elements that were in Elliot Smith's songwriting were, were in heat miser, you know? And it's funny seeing his response to him writing, starting to write a solo material and having it become such a success, his surprise and his shock because he just assumed – because if the context is that when Roman Candle came out, the grunge scene and the post-grunge scene were, were strong and that was like it. And a representatives right, yeah. were still just like chomping at the bit trying to find the next Nirvana and Smith's – Smith was part of that. He was in that scene where A and R representatives were finding his band and sort of mm-hmm. starting to get to know him as somebody who might fit that role, you know. And that kind of topic would come up a lot more in his songwriting. But so it's it was fascinating to me to see his response to that and be like, why would anybody want to listen to my solo material? You know, <laughs> like he's like an acoustic folk album in 1996. People would rather saw their arm off, you know. Yeah, re- recorded off four track and like yeah. hear someone sing it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But that's exactly what Roman Candle was, and that was his first record. Um I forget if it I, I forget which record label it was released on, but it, it was released on an independent label. I yep. believe. That's Yeah, I don't remember the name of it either. Yeah. because um, I think Kill Rock Stars picked him up on like the next the, the next album. Yeah. Yeah. Um Oh, it was uh I believe it was Cavity Search Records. Okay, that yeah. that sounds right. It, it was run by this guy named Christopher Cooper who ended up becoming uh, a friend of Smith's all the way up till his death. Not only so much of a friend, but more of like a, a role model a little bit, somebody who had a shoulder to cry on and like somebody he could talk his problems through, you know, which is kind of cool that he was that for that person, you know? Yeah. totally. Yeah. But then when you, it, that's ideal when you, when you have so much faith in, in your, someone's music that you want to sign them and then, and then you end up becoming somebody who's a, a point of support. That's ideal, I think, in the music industry, even at the independent level. I mean, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, it's good to support your artists as a, as a, um, little, uh, tape label. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, it's true. You know, like, uh, um, I'm talking with my, my now friends. I mean, they become more, more friends than anything, you know, yeah. immediately. Yeah. Like, um, so I'm talking to them all the time. Yeah. And it's funny. It's good to encourage them. The cliche is that as a label, you're a family, but sometimes it can feel that way if you do it correctly, you know? Well, yeah. That's what that's what I'm aiming to do for sure. Well, that's really great. Awesome. That's ideal. Yeah, but did you um, like? Were you familiar with Roman Candle? Uh, not terribly. It had actually been just recently that I had listened to it. Um, most of what I knew previous to uh, doing the research for this podcast was uh, either or. You know, which yeah. was, I yeah. think his most beloved album, at least at an underground level, it was one yeah, just I before think, he. Yeah, uh, I think you're totally right. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing listening to Roman candle for the first time is how it's like, I would say 70 to 75% of Smith's music is already built by the time you put up Roman candle, you know, like it's yeah. all there. It's absolutely. Yeah. yeah totally. You hear like, it. like the, the seeds are there and like, you can like, you can see like where, like how he gets to like where he ends up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. A blueprint, yeah, I guess, is another cliche, but it's true. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, um, it also brings some context too because there's a whole series on that record, uh, the No Name series. He goes up to like four, and then he does another No Name on um, Either Or, and uh, I was like, oh, that's where it comes from, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think I think he might have had like some tossed out. Like I, I feel like there might have been one like on as a B side or something. Yeah, it's possible. Um, um, but like, I was always like really intrigued by that. Like mm -hmm. the, the concept of calling something no name yeah. instead of like untitled, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, I just, I always thought that was like so That's... cool. I mean, like, yeah, I, I followed him like around the time that I was 20 years old was like when, like, I think figure eight came out and like, he just seemed like, you know, on the surface, like that guy is cool and it's like okay he's got these ideas to like call it no name instead mm -hmm. of untitled that's so cool. well that was the first indication of how literate like smith gained a reputation for being a literate folk artist you know because calling something no name as opposed to untitled indicates a double entendre like it's about yeah. somebody who wants to remain anonymous perhaps if we're if we're going to the the symbolism of it or, or anything deeper totally. than just a straight up, you know, and it really, it yep. did showcase his aspirations, you know, to, to write in a way that, that was meaningful on multiple levels. You know? Yeah. So that was really cool. And then just altogether, what struck me so much about that album was the tone of it and how, again, it, it was very representative of what Smith would end up doing, but still the fact that it was just guitar and voice and that and, it was, it was, I guess, the only solo Elliott Smith album that's just guitar and uh, and vocals. Because even on his self-titled, there was a little inkling of drum and. Uh, yeah, he started to overdub stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that it, it's it's again with the third cliche, but people like to talk about authenticity, <laughs> especially where it relates in contextually to folk music, where it's just as few instruments as possible, as few opportunities for the actual purity of the sound to cloud up. Um, and in that context, you could say that it's a, a really authentic record in that regard, that is, all you just hear is the sound of the guitar and his voice. And even though his words are a little more cryptic, 
and they're more yeah. about actual protagonists um, that are not modeled after himself. You know, it's still really compelling listening. You know, so I mean, Roman Candle, if anything, is he only had five major label albums that he released in his lifetime, and uh, if anything, Roman Candle is the indicator that they're all vital. And all like classic and worth listening to, you know, because there's nothing on Roman Candle I think that I would consider a dud in any regard. No, I mean, like, yeah, even, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, his catalog is pretty, it, it holds yeah, up. Yeah, it does. Like, throughout. It's, 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 yeah, especially when you consider the other thing uh, that was super evident the moment that Roman Candle came out, which is one of the things that Smith was consistently praised for is his creativity in constructing melodies and chord progressions. You know, it's not just like major to minor changes, you know, there's so many little tiny interesting things that you were just like, I didn't, yeah, why would I, I think mean, it's just that, like, you know? so sophisticated. Like, like that's like what I, I just like, like listening back over the last like 24 hours, like, like I was just like blown away by by those exact moments like just like you know like ha, like how he was like sort of like a almost like a, a classic like pop song you know what i mean like 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 he's got like the the intro the verse you know like the the pre-chorus or like you know what i mean like there's like like i myself like as a songwriter i just don't like i just don't venture into like all those like sort of subcategories i get in it and get out yeah because it's hard to do properly you know yeah it's easy to fuck yeah. up too for sure <laughs> yeah. I, I know that firsthand yeah. like the thing about i mean and it's funny because you mentioned the word pop and i think later down the line obviously he would turn into more of a pop crafter than he started out as but the the ambition is still there you know the the title track the very first track off the album is 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 so static you know like it it, it takes place within a relatively small series of notes you know, but it's still so yeah. it, it racks up tension and it forces you to listen. And even just that first track is so indicative of the genius that that Smith would display the brilliance of his further albums, you know. So Roman Candle, at least, is absolutely worth a listen for that regard. You know, so good. Um, so good. Yeah. Totally. Now, if that Sorry. if that album had lyrics that were about protagonists who were down on their luck it was a downcast record it still kind of remained a little nebulous who it was that he was talking about but in his next record which was the first one to come out for kill rock stars um it was completely clear who elliot smith was talking about and he was talking about himself <laughs> like yeah you know um and that wasn't any more evident than the very first track on the album which was i think the big single oh. um yeah, needle in the hay, which Josh Homme of uh, Queens of the Stone Age has openly expressed how much he loves that song. I, that's neither here nor there. But, <laughs> well, I'm I'm right there with yeah. him. I mean, it's a stone cold classic. Yeah. Like it's harrowing, isn't and, it? Oh, it's oh man, I, and you know, I I almost almost always like think of uh you know like the scene in Royal Tenenbaums. Um, yeah, with that in it. That's yeah, right. You know, like, yeah, you know what's and, it's so cool how it, it, it wouldn't seem it, but his, his songs have such a cinematic quality then that really fit well in movies, you know, and he would get big for it later, but you know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, this was used pretty like, like after it was, I think it was like, after, it was after you're right. Cause World of Ten Bombs yeah, was early two yeah. thousands. It's like classic yep. Wes Anderson. 
Yeah. And, you know, like at the time, like I was, you know, um, I had only um, heard probably like XO and maybe either or something. So I was just like, whoa, what is this song? You know, because because uh, like at the time it was like when I was buying CDs and there was no streaming yet. And so you couldn't just like stream everything in the world. And so like you got like your few CDs and you just like listen to those over and over again. And um, so things like things like these like first couple of Elliot Smith albums were like kind of hard to come by in like small town, Oklahoma. Yeah. I can imagine, <laughs> you know, and, and Kill Rock I was kind Stars, of lucky to even hear of Elliot Smith. Yeah. <laughs> and Kill Rock Stars wasn't a terribly large label. Like they operated out of Olympia and uh, you know, they were independent. So yeah, it, it, it must've been kind of hard for, cause his, his star was rising around that time, you know? Um, but uh, that, that song, Needle in the Hay, as well as his other really good tracks. There are so many good tracks on that album. Christian Brothers is fantastic. Um, White Lady Loves You More is a great classic. These are songs that are cinematic. They're completely... Th- th- their mood is so palpable. You know? like, And maybe that's the, that's the production, and maybe it's the way that he layers his voice, or it's just the sound of it completely, or maybe it's just the context of the fact that it's, it's spare folk. But Elliot Smith's songs are so wrapped up in in creating this very singular mood that again probably really works well when it's placed in other mediums because it, it's one it's like a solid soul ingredient that gets added to a pile you know which isn't to say that his songs yeah. were simplistic it's that they just sort of were so laser focused on doing one thing and doing it extraordinarily well you know Totally. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's so good, man. Like I remember the first time I, I listened to Christian brothers and I, I immediately need to go list, uh, read the, uh, the lyrics to it and seeing all the little nuances and the ways that he, he writ he wrote lines that meant things in retrospect when you go back and you listen to them or, or that are, are layered in different ways. You know, he was so good at that. Like they're so thoughtful, sure. his compositions. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I feel like, um, yeah, this one, I just like totally have missed out on. And like, um, yeah, I, I went back to like these first couple of albums actually this past fall, like after I kind of had heard that, you know, he had recorded them like himself on like four tracks and stuff. So I kind of wanted to hear just cause I had gotten back into like recording on tapes and stuff again. And, um, so I just, I still feel like I've never really like connected with the full albums. So I'm still, yeah, I still got to go back and, and like really, really deep dive into this. Yeah. One. It can be a little hard. I mean, sparse folk albums, especially his first two records can be a little, like I mentioned static. Um, they can be like, especially to sit down and listen to them can sometimes be a little bit of a chore. Um, especially when they carry one mood. Um, but they're all worth, they're all good, worthless. It's like, I sort of relate this record to, um, Moonpix's cat power and that they both construct a very singular mood. That's, that's downcast and fueled by, uh, alcohol and uh, alcoholism, you know? For, uh, yeah. Yeah. Man, I haven't thought about that album in a while. I know it's so good. <laughs> I already told a story on the uh, podcast of my own personal, um, uh, okay. stuff with, uh, Moonpix. I'll have to, I'll have to. I'm I'm working my way because I just discovered your oh, podcast recently. So Thank I'm you. Working, I'm working I'm working my way through the episode, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna save myself for okay. that. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. So the guy was going through a lot, like, and 
he's obviously he was writing stuff about himself and um, his alcohol dependency. The first time he did alcohol was when he was 14 years old. And, and that that's like mind boggling. I know. Right. I don't know. Which is like people, like people I, will do that. Like they'll, they'll, they'll consume yeah. drugs and alcohol. But when you do it that early, especially when you're a teenager and your brain is still developing and growing, it can really yeah. cause problems later down the line, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then like, coupled uh, with, this he 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 had a really awful abusive relationship with a stepfather that would get mentioned so many times in his writing um i think he claimed in interviews that he may have been sexually abused it's possible he blocked the yeah, memory out weird. or something that's like weird. that yeah um tragic stuff that was leading to um like real bad shit and when he was recording his third album either or which is the record i'm most familiar with i think the record that a lot it's i think it's arbitrarily his best record because it is the best meeting point between the elliot smith that he was known for and the pop smith that he would become whereas i think as much as i really enjoyed listening to exo and figure eight i think there were parts that were more maudlin than straight melancholy like and I think either or was a really good restraint. Like he, it was him very restrained, but still ambitious. Yeah. And I mean, it still like kind of leans itself to that kind of like lo-fi feel of the early albums. And, um, and I, I don't know for me, like personally, like, I feel like it's a big, a big jump, like, you know, like song, like a uh, songwriting wise. And then, and like, I, I don't know. I think he takes his songwriting even further with EXO personally, um, but but I I totally get like where people coming come from saying like oh this is his best album you know I think it's I think that's a a great argument to make is whether or not either of those are particular and I guess it does wind down to your preference yeah I mean and also like EXO was the first album that I bought that'll that I do it I think him, it's you know? usually the first and, that... and like and it came out like a around the time that like I think like Rufus Wainwright had put out his first album and there was like. Um, a guy by the name of Ron Sexsmith who had also done kind of like a folk pop record at that time that I was really into. And there was like, kind of, so it was, there was something like in the air at that time for this like sort of Baroque pop, like, like weird pop music yeah. to be made, like acoustic, acoustic instruments. There was and a stuff. niche. And, and I just like, yeah, I just lashed onto that big time. So, so um, that's why I'm, I think I'm like personally like so invested yeah. in it. So, but, but I, I mean, like I don't know. There's just like so many classics on um, on either or. Like that's you know. true, and a lot of those are in part thanks to Gus Van Sant. Um, because as as fantastic as either or is, full on through, and it's just like an amazing listen. Like you mentioned, either or was a big jump in his songwriting, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't terribly obvious until the longer you get into the album, you realize wow, he's actually doing a lot of different stuff. You know. Yeah, like Speed Trials is is very um, representative of his earlier work, but then you get to like almost power pop songs like Ballad of Big Nothing, and like more, you know, ambitious works like uh, Rose Parade and um, Cupid's Trick was like one of the first time you heard electric guitars on Elliot Smith's record. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, I was loving Cupid's Trick earlier today. Wow. It's just so whole weird. album is fantastic. It, 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 those melodies get so stuck in your head too. I think it's a brilliant trick that he would pan two takes of vocals, one in each channel, but he was so solid in his vocal delivery that it would sound like it was just one voice. 
And then when you get to the end of the song Speed Trials, and he's singing the same notes all the way through until he starts harmonizing. And then it's like, oh, wow, those were actually double panned. Like, and you, you hear both yeah. voicings. Like, he was, he was been singing the same melody line the whole time, and I didn't even realize it. You know? Like, that's what happened to me when I listened. I was like, this, this is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's just like, if you want to, like, record your own music, like, go and listen to this stuff. Because, like, the layering that he does, and, like, you know, and the fact that he does most of this by himself, you know, especially, like, on these earlier albums is is amazing. And it's like, um, I don't know, the his vocal style is just, like, his voice, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't feel like I've ever heard anybody else quite like him. Yeah, it's and, and a lot of that I think has to come down to his voice specifically, you know, like half of it is his creative, like the way he, he makes melodies that feel like they can only be written by him, you know, but then also yeah. that it's hard to imitate that kind of voice, you know, cause it's very specific. It's, it's hushed, but it's, but it's purposeful. Like it's, it's, it's not something that's half-assed. Like he sings yeah. from a point of compulsion but it's also not full. Like it's, it's, it's held back a little bit, you know, like it's so specific to him and it's, it's a really compelling presence that's made almost all of his, I would say all of his records, maybe barring some stuff off of uh, from basement Hill when it wasn't finished, you know, yeah. um, just, just amazing stuff. And I think, and, and either or it ended up being his, uh, his breakthrough, and I want to say it is because people were finally figuring out that this guy was like compositionally a mastermind, but he was living, he was a part of a Portland, Portland music scene for a while. He was the guy that was representing almost Portland scene and Gus Van Sant, who is a Portland director came up to him and asked if he wanted mm-hmm. to contribute music and write an original piece for uh, his new movie that he was doing. Um, and Gus Van Sant wasn't, huge in the movie industry he was he was coming up like he had released his how much gus van sant have you have you watched movie wise are you familiar with that director um i mean i yeah I, I am but like knowing like specific films off the top of my head at this point like it's been a while since i've even thought about it <laughs> he, i should have <laughs> this should have been a part of my no, research today I, you totally tripped me I, <laughs> like what what have you done like um, you've never heard of gus you, van no, I, like I'm no, I'm like uh, confusing him with like Richard Linklater. Oh yeah, because like, uh, they are kind of similar, you know. Yeah, uh, what, but what did what did he done like leading up? So to, Gus Van Sant, it, as far as I know, Gus Van Sant was most well known for, um, uh, I know that he did the 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 Young Death trilogy, which was Elephant, Jerry, and Last Days. Um, but I'm not sure yeah. whether or not that came out before or after Goodwill Hunting. I think it might have. That was definitely after, because yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, he yeah. did um my own private Idaho. Yeah, oh yes, that okay. Was really, no, I'm, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of looking now. I'm cheating, I used but, to be, like, but like like drugstore cowboy yes. and like yeah, and to die for with Nicole Kidman. Like I remember like, and I think uh, Matt Dillon was also in that. Like oh my god, that movie was so insane. Wasn't drugstore cowboy the very first X-rated film? Or X-rated film to Was win an Oscar, to win, what? I believe so. That's crazy. I think so. I might be. No, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm thinking of Midnight Midnight Cowboy. Midnight yeah, Cowboy. that's different. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's no way Gus Van Sant could be that old. Um, uh, so 
So he he was on the up and up. Like his indie cred was rising, but he had yet to hit like a huge major film. And I think that movie's success was based on well, the fact was it was a damn good movie, but also Matt Damon and and I think Ben Stiller co-wrote it. Uh, Ben Ben Affleck, Affleck, Ben Stiller, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon co-wrote that film, and they were already rising stars in the the movie industry, and uh, it just ended up getting a lot. And then they had like then they had Robin Williams. That's right. That was his one of his finest roles. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. And so it ended up being a huge success, almost surprising. I mean, very surprising for the amount of money it made. And Elliot's presence in that movie couldn't have been understated. And that really rose him to a level of fame that he just sort of wasn't prepared for. And it's a classic story. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's but it, it's kind of like, I don't know. He had, he had done a lot of work, you know, like up until that point. Like, yeah. You know, like, I mean, I mean, it's, I I think it's, it's probably like one thing to go from like, kind of like an indie rock guy, then all of a sudden to be like on the Oscars, like that's a huge jump, but, but like, I mean, and, and combined with like his, the the past and like, you know, his life that he's, what he had dealt Mm -hmm. with, I'm sure like, there was just, there was a lot going on for the guy. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I shouldn't give him a hard time, (laughs) but like, I mean, he had been in the industry, but, um, yeah, I mean, maybe he just wasn't. He wasn't ready for this this sort of spotlight. Yeah. If there's one thing we've learned now that's been documented exhaustively over the last 50 or so years, it's that if you're not ready for fame, like fame, fame essentially takes all of the demons and the things that you've been fighting and makes it so that you literally can't hide from them because they're on full yeah. blast for everybody else to see. And then you slip up and, and, and you're, you get more and more paranoid and it starts fucking with you mentally. Like a healthy. And I mean, especially today, you know, like it's like even it's so like everything is so like in your face um, on our on our screens constantly. It's like it's probably a thousand times worse than it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, even uh, even uh, a healthy mentally, a mentally healthy person will have struggles putting up with that. You know, so somebody like Elliot Smith, who had been dealing with trauma and trying to express it in his music and having that be part of it, you know. Um, it's, it's too much, you know? And I think, but, but then also something I was thinking about as I was listening to either or, because one of the motifs of that particular album is the music industry and the the, the indie person's relationship with the music industry and the inherent distrust in that. Like there's the uh, Rose Parade and Angelus and um, other songs on that album are specifically about him interacting with and being in the music industry and and you have to imagine that like any person in that in that business he secretly wanted to court fame on that level and maybe but then also struggled with it because it's a conflicting thing you know on one one thing you really get tempted by it and he absolutely openly expressed that even in the lyrics of that of that album how like everybody's dying to get the disease i think is the line from it you know it's like it's it's too alluring, you know. Secretly, you would want to be known known in that way and to have your material stand out. Because why else, you know? Would you? It's it's just secretly. I think everyone has part of that in their in their mo, whether or not they want to admit it. And especially <laughs> in the the PNW scene, you know, so much of making music is about honesty and integrity and trying to find a major label. It's just one of those things that. It was really, really frowned upon 
in that scene. You know, I remember reading uh, Carrie Brownstein's biography and she was talking about when they were uh, thinking about signing the Matador or, um, or other bigger labels and uh, talking about um, Kurt Cobain's death in 94 and how it's like all of a sudden everybody in the Seattle and uh, Portland and PNW Olympia music scenes, they were all like, well, there you go. There's your case study. This is somebody who wanted to, sh- who, who had the secret ambition for fame and they did it and they did it right by changing the rules. Like they fit the music industry so that their music ended up being passed. Uh, and it still didn't end happily, you know? So it was one of those things where it scared a lot of people off. And I think Elliot was definitely part of that. I think it, he was very conflicted perhaps about wanting to get to a higher level, but then also not wanting to leave that indie credibility behind or to, to, to the trepidation of being that. I think that was a, an interesting part of that, that I think either, or that was a big motif in that particular album. Cause he knew it was coming, you know? That's a, yeah. That's su- that's super interesting. Cause like, yeah. I mean, I just like had never, cause I know, I think I said earlier, like I'm not like a huge lyrics guy. So I like, I never really like read lyrics, you know, like I always sort of like pick up lines here and there. And so there's like, um, yeah, there's this whole underlying theme of this album that I didn't <laughs> even crazy, know really existed, right? you know, because I just like put my own my own like thoughts into it or whatever experience. That's the pleasure of listening and, to Elliot uh, Smith, though, is, is being able to come into it with your own attitude and be able to relate yeah. in that regard. He wouldn't have so many fans. And I think like, well, and like part of it is like, like, you know, like everybody's all like, oh, he's like so depressing. But like, I never really thought that because I didn't, because I just like, don't, I don't hone in on lyrics like so much. Like, I'm like, oh, this is, seems like a catchy song. I don't know what you guys are talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about. <laughs> it, it's funny. Um, and then obviously, if we've learned from a bunch of artists, sometimes lyrics don't literally mean anything and people can read into them a little too much. But sometimes it's fun to do it, you know, to be that, that analytical person, you know. Of course, sometimes that can, that can lead into self-absorption and being like, well, here's what I got out of it, you know. Everyone can put de- put in their own interpretation, but at the end of the day, you know, it's words that sound good together, you know. That's yeah, that's the yeah. goal. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, either or came out, and then Goodwill Hunting ended up becoming a success. Elliot Smith's song that he, the original song for the the movie Miss Misery, ended up being nominated for the Oscar in 1998, the uh, best original song Oscar, and he was asked to perform. And he was super against it until the performers, the, uh, the the people behind the Oscars told him that if he didn't perform, they would get somebody else to do it. And he was just like, he said himself he didn't want to disappoint his friends, you know, very unenthusiastically decided yeah. he'll just do it. And to anybody who knew Elliot Smith in the local scene, all of a sudden seeing him on stage at the Oscars, you know, like in front of all of these famous people looking so out of place in like a white suit, yeah. just like greasy face, like and greasy, and greasy hair, hair yeah. just like, and him just, and he wanted just him and his guitar. You know, I think the house orchestra was attempting to back him up, but he, he wanted it to be yeah, like I a, think, a small performance, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I think they cut the they cut the song like nearly in half or something. Also, yeah, that's true. Like literally, just down to like two <laughs> minutes. You know, he ended yeah. up winning the Oscar, but yeah. he wasn't he didn't care either way. I don't believe didn't express it. You know, the problem is is that even even that level of fame, even if you say you don't want it, it's still going to affect you mentally. And uh, he was getting really really bad at that point. Um, he 
um, fell into a really big depression. He was speaking, he was openly suicidal is what he said. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. It's yeah. shocking. Like when I was reading that, there today, was a yeah. time where he got really drunk and literally ran off a cliff, like not metaphorically, literally yeah. ran off. A cliff. I know. I, yeah, I've read that story today and then like, he got like, um, caught in a tree and it saved his life. And like, but like got pretty hurt, like getting caught in this tree, but it was just like, Oh my God. Like, I just can't imagine doing that. Well, that's, but, and that's the slippery slope oh, with the suicide yeah. attempts is that if you try one and it doesn't work, it makes you that much closer to actually doing it and attempting it. Like it, it, once you pass that threshold, like there's so many little different thresholds in that regard and um, things did not portend well for him, you know, but it was around this time that he was, yeah. he was writing and, and putting out a XO, which was uh, his first major label debut. He was on DreamWorks. Um, right. Yep. And uh, that's the one that I think most people are, know about Elliot because of the fact that it received a bunch of emotion being on a major label, you know. And you said that was your favorite yeah, Elliot sure Smith album. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like, I, I mean, I I feel like either or and XO and Figure Eight are sort of like this holy trinity for me. Like, you know. Uh, but like, uh, um, yeah, it was the first one that I heard. Like working at a record shop and it came in used and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna check this out. And yeah, just like immediately like fell in love with it. Like being a big Beatles fan too, like all those harmonies that he does with himself. And he's like really expanding the instrumentation on that album and, um, and really layering it up and it just really, yeah. Yeah. The pop craft is so evident on that record, you know, like the, yeah, like you said, the Baroque instrumentation, like the fact that, that, songs sound like they're part of a full band some of the lo-fi scrub is is scrubbed off of it a little bit you know um the subject matter is still pretty much the same like he essentially every record that he wrote up until his death was a continuation and an addition of different themes you know like obviously he was still writing about alcoholism he was still writing about drug addiction he was still writing about people down on their luck like um roman candle he was still writing about the music industry he he went a little more personal. Um, Waltz Two is, I think, the most well-known song off of that particular yeah. record, and it's dedicated to his mom and everything. You know, like the fact that he was still remaining yeah. so overtly personal. You know, it, it is while still reaching this this plane of existence. You know, this 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 fame is is brave. You know, but it was an integral part of what people liked about him. So I guess he felt like he had to still continue to do that, or he was compelled. to yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure he just probably, I don't know, he probably couldn't do anything else. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, like, that's who he was as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't going to, I don't think he was ever going to, like, hold back from, from you know, just kind of being himself. Um, yeah. I feel uh, when you, some people learn how to write about specific subjects, and, and when you're, approaching a mood or a, a, an inspiration to write a specific piece in a specific mood i think people just get used they get into a mode where that's what they can do and that's what they can do best and i think elliot figured out how to write really compelling songs about his own stuff and things that he was inspired by and he just it, it's it was just hard for him to or, or maybe just easier for him i would say to 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 get into any other mode like it was just what worked naturally for him you know sure i could yeah. see that yeah um so that that album did pretty well 
I would say for a major label, I think it 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 peaked at a hundred and three or something like that. Sold like uh, four hundred thousand copies uh, over the course yeah. of its uh, lifespan, which is pretty great for somebody that that ended up being like just an indie artist who started out that way. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think you know, like on the heels of you know the Oscar nomination, maybe that's not what yeah. <laughs> what like a major label was hoping for, but like. You know, like in retrospect, it's like, you know, by today's standards. It's oh, amazing. yeah. It's absolutely today's standards. People wouldn't be able to match today's <laughs> standards like that. That's crazy, you know. But it was still right for the picking yeah. back then. Um, so that album gets released. Um, and if we're talking about Beatles influence, like that kind of stuff, that ambition started to, he, he it really started to become evident in all of his later work. Like he ended up, literally he ended up covering the Beatles because off of Abbey road for mm-hmm. the end credits of American beauty. Uh, yeah. And I also was reading today that Wes Anderson tried to get him to do, um, Hey Jude, uh, for Royal Moms, and like he, and he like was so like at this point he was so messed up, like he couldn't finish. Yeah. Time, that's the other so thing. Wes Anderson went with something yep. else. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, you hear it, like, I mean, especially on the next album on Figure Eight, it's like, I mean, he even went to Abbey Road yes. Studios to like record part of yeah. it, you know. So it's like, like he he must have just loved those guys. I'm how sure. much are you familiar with uh, yeah. Figure Eight? Um, how much am yeah. I familiar with it? Like, I mean, um, like, like I the- I bought it like when it came out, and um, and I remember I remember feeling like hyped about that album coming out you know like i was really excited for it to be released do you remember how you felt about it when you listened to it for the first time oh god um (laughs) (laughs) it's like almost that's almost like 20 years i mean like i I, like son of sam like you know like right out out of the gate like i mean it was like so like i feel like there were hints um of him kind of like rocking out with like independence day or something from the previous album but but like, um, but it was just, it seemed like he was kind of ready to like maybe use a live band a little bit more in yeah. the studio yeah. and, um, and really go yeah. for it as far as being like, kind of like more of a rock, rock musician. I probably, at that point, I probably should have gone back and searched out Heat Miser because I really liked the, the like, like LA yeah. album. Um, Heat Miser like has that indie quality like that. Like all of his stuff is still there, but you know, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's miles different from what came out on figure eight, but the, the blueprint is obviously gotcha. still there, you know? Yeah. But there, I mean, like there's so many more, like, um, like what's the, uh, what's the, what's the song where like, he does like kind of like an acapella thing. Like he would like, like the Beatles sit on. I'm actually not sure. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, <laughs> It might be um, Can't Make a Sound or I Better Be Quiet. It's like one of the last songs on the album. And he does like, he basically does that like several part harmony. Oh, yeah. It's just like all acapella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but so like he kind of was like really um, cherry picking those, yeah. uh, the, the Beatles yeah. influences and like really throwing yeah. them on there. Um, it's funny because yeah. uh it ended up being a little alienating to people who were used to Elliot just being like a soul. Like they'd seen the progress being made on EXO and figure it was a -hmm. step in that direction. And I think some people sort of still wanted to latch onto his earliest 
her his earliest stuff, which you know that's a that's a that's an aesthetic preference, you know. For some people. I think that's like also like a common trait amongst like, you know, like everybody's always like, yeah, their early stuff was so much better. Yeah. You know what I mean, like like every band in like the history, like everybody's always like REM's Murmur is like the only album that's yeah. good, and yeah. or like you know, but um. I don't. I don't know who says like Bleach is the best Nirvana album. <laughs> There's. <so laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, but uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like I and I remember like when it came out and people were like, there might have there was a hint of a of the backlash. Like the internet was kind of was booming at this time, and so like there were little Elliot Smith fan sites that uh, that I would check out because he was like one of the coolest dudes in the world yeah. at the time. And yeah, I think I kind of remember there being a little bit of a backlash towards the sound of it, but I was all mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. It's, and, and I think arbitrarily yeah. in retrospectively, it's a lot better record than people were giving it credit for back then, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's long, yeah. songs like that's like the, the downside of the invention of the compact disc, I think is that everybody thought they had to make like these 50 to 60 minute albums in yeah. the nineties and like early 2000s and and um so i mean like i i don't know what i would cut from it because i like everything but but i yeah it is it's a long album and that would end up being his final recorded album because after that he started to slip way downhill like he i think started to do heroin after that um and was it like was it after or was it like while i think was it was around the same time i can't home. really we won't we wouldn't okay. be able to figure out like when specifically he started doing heroin. right like i think but like, i think it was around that time yeah. like this the turn of the century you know i think he had flirted around yeah. with drugs like that before but that was the first time i think he had really just dove straight into it and um, yeah. that plus it and like yeah. even like like crack or crack like he even wor- crack. like i mean heroin heroin is a pretty bad drug i think but like yeah, these are these are dangerous. Absolutely, yeah. And if the heroin wasn't doing <laughs> to him, the crack certainly was because he started to get really, really, really paranoid. Um, there yeah. were reports of him like yeah, having to say. walk like y- through yards of un not uncharted territory, but like not roads. Like he would just like he would walk <laughs> to the studio like on like grass because he was like brush. trying to lose this he was trying to lose this white van or something this elusive uh, white van from yeah. his record label it was, that was very it was very thin white duke band. you know um <laughs> yeah same thing he he would he wouldn't eat anything but ice cream and he would just hole up in yeah, his house and like not yeah. sleep and just just terribly unhealthy person during that point yeah you know to the point where he had already had two interventions just for his alcohol use at separate times in his life. And both of them failed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just going off the deep end. You know, th- again, this was the point where you said that um, he wanted to contribute a cover of Hey Jude or um, Wes Anderson wanted to cover yeah. Hey Jude, yeah. but he just, he, he couldn't do it in time. Cause he just, he didn't have the gumption for it, you know? Yeah. Um, he, according to David McConnell, um, he said that Smith would smoke over $1,500 worth of heroin and crack a day. That's insane. <laughs> and he was openly suicidal. And there were even times he tried to give himself an opioid. Yeah. He just wouldn't do it. Like, which is so shitty, yeah. you know? That's, I mean, what a 
just sad yeah. existence. I mean, like, if I had a time machine, like, I would like to go back and give that guy a hug. I know, right? Know? <laughs> I, I'm sure a lot of people did. But, like, I mean, I'm sure... Well, I'm sure that, that I think at some point they're like in the Wikipedia that I was reading, you know, like what I was reading today, um, you know, there were several friends that would, you know, talk about like, um, you know, they had these occasions where they stayed up until five o'clock in the morning holding Elliot's hand and reassuring him that he doesn't like they don't want yeah. him to die. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like, oh, like, so he he obviously had people that like loved him and and would of course you know cared about him and like reached out like you know and but um i think once you go down this hole there's some there's just no coming yeah especially when all of it is compounded by depression which uh yeah it, it sucks all the air out of you and and it can it, it frames everything in a, in a negative light and you can't really do anything about it the funny thing is is that as far as all of the rehab uh and and everything and and he only sought out rehab after he realized that he was just going down a road that, that he wouldn't come back from because he tried to play. Um, there was this one infamous show that he played at Portland's crystal ballroom where he just had like a beard and his hair, his face was gone. His hair was long and um, he just did not look well. And he, he couldn't remember his lyrics. Like he couldn't play chords. Like it was very concerning. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and he knew that he just sort of had to, to get back into it, you know? So he did, he did rehab like drug rehab and stuff, but he, I don't believe he ever had like a therapist or like somebody that, that could help him mentally. Cause that's what he needed, you know, like that's Absolutely. the foundation of all of it. Like you can, you can stop doing drugs yeah. and the demons are well, still going to haunt you. But like he was like also like in addition to like the the heroin and the crack or whatever he was also seeing like medical doctors and getting like antidepressants and like antipsychotics so he was carrying like like I think I don't know if I don't know if you mentioned this earlier or if I read this at some point but like he was carrying like basically like what he referred to like his purse of pills or something like that yeah like, apparently like he was carrying around like this bag of pills and like so like just mixing all this like insane yep. amount of drugs Antidepressants. So, i mean he was definitely going to yeah he was going to see somebody but maybe not maybe not yeah, like a psychiatrist that perhaps kind of, yeah that would actually yeah yeah um that's crazy uh, yeah it, it yeah. said that when he died that there were there were levels of um prescribed antidepressants and uh, adhd medication and clonazepam and and other things so that's all of that a cocktail of drugs combined with continued i mean he wasn't by the time the funny thing is is that by the time of his death, he really had nothing in his system. Like he quit alcohol on his 34th birthday um, and he wasn't doing drugs anymore. Um, the yeah. way he ended up getting off of drugs, according to Smith, was that he went to this experimental rehab clinic in LA where instead of putting you through the regular detox, detox drugs and having you go through withdrawal and getting it all out of your system, they plugged him into an IV bag where they fed uh, amino acids and a saline solution. And according to the the people who were running the rehab clinic, it would allow you to refresh your body without having you go through withdrawal. According to Elliot, that's exactly what happened to him. You know, I mean, there's no scientific evidence proving that it happened, but maybe the placebo effect was yeah. more powerful or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Um, yeah. So what's tragic is that he was, as far as drug wise, he was, he was free, you know, he just, and he was like, and he was trying, Yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's like, 
like ultimate that's like ultimately the, that's like the most heartbreaking thing to me is like he was really like trying and and you know like he had obviously been like writing and recording um during all this or towards the end of it i'm not sure like when he was recording the the album that they released after he yeah. passed away but um and i i don't know i think there's some great great songs on that you know yeah so, oh absolutely you know and and speaking of he was putting together an album before he he died and it was called from a basement on the hill which was i believe like a version of an album that he was working on with um uh with another person i forget who specifically but they were working together on an album and then they they stopped the sketch. it was john brayon and uh yeah oh, and they john, stopped yeah, the session yeah. because of his yeah, drug abuse. I think... Yeah, which is like such a bummer because it seemed like he really championed Elliot. And I don't have you ever like I watched I rewatched this today, like this YouTube video where John Bryan had like this um this I don't know if it was like a music show, um, but Elliot Smith is on there and it's like a forty minute set where they like kind of yeah. play together, and Elliot kind of keeps like fucking mm-hmm. up and uh and you know John is like just like oh i messed up too it's okay elliot you know like and like you could just like see like elliot was just having a hard time and because this was like um after figure eight had come out and i think he was about to go on tour for it or something like that so it was possibly like right before he was starting to to pick Mm -hmm. up drugs so or maybe he was just like high as a kite during it but it is yeah it's kind of a it's a sad document all in itself i don't know i'll have to check it out i'd recommend it yeah, I'll, I'll send you a, cool. a link to it. I'm, I'll try and put it in the description yeah, if that happens. It's good. Um, but he put yeah, down, do he, he, he was making this album with this guy, and then I think because of that, because of his drug abuse and the fact that it was affecting his performance, that he stopped the sessions and then their friendship immediately dissolved, and that depressed uh, Elliot even further because he's just like, well, not only yeah. do I have I lost this friendship with this guy I was making music with, but now I can't listen to any of these songs because it reminds me of our friendship, and so now I don't have an album which only further compounded that. So, but when he was getting back on it, he was like, okay, well, I'm going to start making another album. We're going to bring up these sessions. I'm going to make a double album. I've been working on all this stuff. And that, that is always the case, right? It's always, not always, but it's saddest when they end up getting better or they look like they're getting better. And then it just, it just all comes crashing down, you know? Um, And also what a, painful way to go too because i believe it was a self knife oh that i'm i yeah i mean i remember the day it happened and or like you know like or at least like later on hearing about how he did it like we were just like like what like he yeah it's a shock like it's like a fucking david herman here or whatever like just a shock you know like you can't yeah you can't you can't it's hard to process you know again especially when you're on the up and up you know the the thing is is that Smith's debt was ruled as a suicide, but the official autopsy report left it open whether or not it was a homicide, specifically because um, there's still the probable cause that it was there was somebody else in the room with him. It was his girlfriend, uh, Jennifer Chiba. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe I still believe it's a suicide, like because we've seen patterns of Smith's previous attempts to self-harm before you know the whole diving off of the cliff and trying to give himself an overdose you know i don't think it mattered how he went out for sure you know like yeah i I don't think chiba had anything to do with it it's just the fact that since since there's no specific nobody was witnessing the time of the suicide and the autopsy wasn't able to determine whether or not it had to happen and i think 
yeah and i guess like exactly that's the other thing out. because of that there's so, no way to determine whether or not it was just smith's fingerprints on the on the knife you know yeah, and also yeah. i think it that's was the a, fact the other mistake. thing that's tragic <laughs> is that had chiba left the knife in he probably would have survived because yeah i mean like that i feel like that is uh is what i have learned in like all television yeah. shows it's like you, you always, always leave you always yeah. leave it in yeah until you always they, gotta leave it in because yeah. that's what's keeping you from bleeding out so but she did it in a panic so yeah. it's so yeah, tragic sure. man yeah, yeah but then from the basement on a hill got released the year after i believe in 2004 and uh I, that was, that's such right? a quick turnaround well they people had to work <laughs> like, on it i forget I, who specifically helped get the album out um the is it Joanne, Joanne Bohm was his ex girlfriend to the B like the, the girl she was yeah in. she she helped with it I think uh, um I know that she yeah. had a hand in and this other guy that he was working with Schnapp um, uh, sh- sh- not, yeah. yeah yeah who who worked on like um what like Ezo I believe so X, yeah XO, um, maybe so they sorted yeah. through the recordings and they they put together a it was supposed to be a double album and ended up being fifteen tracks because that's all that was able to get finished according to their discretion um. Mm-hmm. But that record is still pretty kick-ass. Like just hearing that opening like tidal wave on Coast to Coast is like, oh man, that song is chilled. so good. Like, oh, it's there's so much good so material great. on that record, and that's again, it's tragic. At least we got to hear what he could have put out. You know, there's so many artists that die before yeah. they do anything, and then everyone's guessing like, where is it going to go? You know, but maybe it's even more tragic to yeah. know that it was going to be good and it and it didn't end up happening. You know yeah so but hey we're still celebrating elliot is the other thing too like the fact that everyone is is wishing him well and and still remembering his his works and he's still becoming an influence when he would have turned 50. yeah i mean there's like been an explosion like you know like yesterday i think was his official birthday and it was like i was seeing stuff all over the place you know i, I had to refrain from like listening to like um npr things because i didn't want it to influence what i was going to say but like yeah i mean and, and it's been fun to spend like the last 24 hours or 48 hours like really doing a deep dive and kind of listening to stuff that like i i really hadn't listened to like figure eight and xo and in yeah. a long time so. and the cool thing about his work is that specifically him the way he would write his songs they're ultimately repeatable and listenable because of how well crafted they are and lyrically his words are are at once straightforward and cryptic like there's so many ways to interpret things that he's saying yeah well and there are like so many layers like just like recording wise from a production standpoint like you were mentioning earlier with the panned vocals like you maybe didn't pick that up like when you're listening to it years ago and now you're like hearing like all these like nuances that you did yeah exactly before. and that's why i'm glad that they're doing the deluxe editions and, and remastering it you know yeah i'm uh i'm psyched to go and look i was listening to my my old mp3s on my yeah. ipod <laughs> it's like it's probably not nearly as good as yeah. the new stuff um you know one thing that i really noticed like throughout like re-listening to stuff is like he was like the king of doing like the first like half of the song like acoustic and then like doing some sort of drum fill and then like kicking in yeah the full right band, like halfway yeah. through the song like that was like a really go-to move for him that i didn't like mm-hmm. really pick up until i started to like kind of like binge <laughs> <He> <laughs> like his stuff like you know like he did yeah he did that a lot and it was 
Yeah. It was awesome. I love his, it. His tricks. You know, <laughs> God just knew how to songwrite. Yeah. He just, he just had it like Absolutely. down pat, you know, and it's a shame to see him gone. But then also, you know, who knows how relevant he, w- I mean, his music would obviously have been relevant, but it sucks that his death colors his work in a way that makes it fitting, you know, like it's sad that he's dead. Um, but I have to wonder what he would be doing now on his 50th birthday, you know? I mean, I pr- he probably wouldn't be doing much. I'm assuming he probably would have called the music thing quits after a little bit. You know, who knows? I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, like we could um, think hypothetically that he could just be still cruising along like Yola Tango yeah. or something. And, uh, getting, you know, getting in the bus and like, you know, still still putting out these like uh, critically acclaimed albums and yeah. just doing fun. Yeah, that's the thing too. It's, it's, it's unlocked <laughs> but, uh, potential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I like to think there's an alternate universe where this didn't go down, and he's and he's doing that. Yeah. You know, who knows? You know. Yeah. Uh, so, um, closing thoughts. Uh, I mean, what else do you have to say about Elliot Smith? Like the guy was the the guy was amazing. He had problems, and the way that he died was so. It was a shock, but it wasn't unexpected. You know, like, yeah, I mean, ultimately it's a, it's a tragic, yeah. loss, but we have but, the music to thank for uh, it, but, you know? Yeah. Like, um, I want to mention David Berman for a second now that, uh, now that it's mentioned, cause the funny thing about that is he just put out a new record and it's, I think it's very apt because did you listen to the new purple mountains record? I hadn't gotten, now you've got to listen to it, to it because yet, it, so, it ends up, it, yeah literally the last thing you recorded now yeah so um we put out a a review of that record uh about a month ago i believe it came out about a month ago the funny thing is is that throughout the whole record he is openly acknowledging the fact that he's not okay like there are song tracks called like all my happiness is gone and then the first track i think is like because the thing do you know do you know about david berman specifically like do you know where he comes from well yeah, I mean, I know, like, his history, like, as far as, like, you know, being buddies with Stephen Malcolmus, because I'm a huge, like, Pavement yeah. Malcolmus fan, so I checked out, like, uh, the earlier Silver Jews albums whenever I was, you know, uh, coming up as a Pavement yeah. fan. Um, and I know that he, like, has struggled with depression, it seems like, all of well, his Well, also that, well. Um, he was addicted to crack. Um, yeah, and that, oh, really? that, okay. that'll get you. Yeah. It's a thing, like... Um, especially during the early century, this century, um, he would do, he did crack, he did heroin, he did meth. And that, you know, those are all like triple threats. And um, there was uh, one moment where, there's a famous moment in um, 2003 where Berman, um, it was in Nashville and he, he consumed 300 Xanax pills and crack. And that's how he tried to attempt suicide. And his wife discovered oh, him and he's just man. like, don't, don't take me to the hospital. I want to die. Um, instead, I want to be brought to the Lowe's Vanderbilt hotel because that's where um, he, he wanted to go to the hotel and demanded to, to, to be in the Al Gore suite because he wanted to die where the presidency died. Is what he said in 2003. Oh. What a guy, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's black comedy is what it is you know um 
But it sucks because, I mean, we still don't, I mean, literally, we're recording this podcast on the day of his death. Like, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. We don't yeah. know how he died yet. Um, I would not, again, the same thing with Elliot Smith. I would not be surprised if it was suicide because it's happened before. Yeah. I mean, he was like, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, he was like 52. And I mean, if you've got like a history of drug problems, you're probably not taking that great of care of your body, you know? So I mean, it could have been something else like health related, but, but yeah, I mean, like you, uh, there wasn't anything that was released whenever I saw there the usually isn't about unless it's it very obvious. Um, yeah. Like, so, I mean, you like immediately I, I thought that he's probably yeah. taking his own life. It's very possible. You know, again, I wouldn't be surprised. It just sucks. You know, when it's yeah, mixed man. up with hard drugs, like I have never done hard drugs before. I, I never will in my life, but like hearing firsthand accounts, yeah. even just doing it once fucks with your body chemistry so much that it's like, I follow, I, I, I'm a drag queen fan and I follow some drag queens and there's one drag queen I, I know that, um, has a history of substance abuse. And she was talking about the first time that she ever done did meth. And she went, the first time that she did, she was like, this is the most amazing feeling I've ever felt in my life. This is going to be a huge problem for me in the future. Like, so candidly. <laughs> and it's true. It's like, it fucks with your body chemistry where you yeah. just, you miss it. There's a great song by the 1975 that came out last year called, um, it's not living if it's not with you. And on the surface, it's just like a sugary pop song. That's like very eighties guitar based, but it's not a love song. It's a song about heroin. And it's a song about like, uh, even yeah. though I'm, I'm clean off of heroin, like, cause Matt Healy was addicted to heroin um, in the early, in early this decade. And he got clean of it, but he's writing candidly about like, gotcha. uh, even though I'm clean and free of heroin, there is not a day that goes by where I don't miss it being in my system. You know, like, and that's Yikes. people who Man. have substance issues. That's what Elliot Smith is Berman. Like, that's what they deal with. And S- Cornell, like it just, it, it, it just hits them yeah. after a second, you know? So it's just fucking sad. I'm so, I'm so sad right now. Man, no, I'm sorry. Fine. I would have I'm learned about it literally the, after recording the podcast. To... You know, it would have happened one way or another. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm you know? sure. Yeah. Ugh. Well, well, I mean, it sucks to end the podcast on a downer note, so. but I mean, this is a podcast about Elliot <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sorry, this is such a yeah. bummer. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like, I mean, like reading like his history, listening to his tunes today, and then finding out about Berman, it was like, what man, what a bum- bummer of a day. Oh. <laughs> I did a lot of drawing, though, while I was listening to Elliot, that's so that's okay. Nice. Like, I felt yeah, pretty and good th- about this also, that. Yeah. This also is, it's prescient for me to go back and listen to that Purple Mountains record again, and 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 it sucks but now we gotta listen to it now it sucks too because it's only been out for a month and it's like the fucking it's like in utero you know it's like you listen to it and there's only a small window where you could have listened to it outside of its context and now it's just going to be colored by the fact that Berman died you know and there's so many little hints about it that it was going to happen now that 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 sucks well go listen to Elliot Smith you guys go listen to that David Berman record and and if you are ever feeling in any way like you need help, uh, go find help. Hell, I'll put the fucking suicide prevention Absolutely. number in the 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 uh, the description because it's not it's it's not worth it, man. It's like if if you're gonna die, no. if you want to die, don't worry, it's gonna happen to you. You know, give it give it a chance. Yeah, you know, fuck, <laughs> man. Okay, well, we got we got to cut the well, podcast, yeah. Thanks. 
Yeah, thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for on. being I really on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's so nice to nice to chat about Elliot. To remember him. Um, and go down, yeah, and yeah. Go down memory lane. I know, right? Memory lane for you, more like a introduction for yeah. me. Yeah. But um, go check out Lambert's work. Go check out um, Red Pants, Distortion and Snow is just out. And go check out everything that's on Painted Blonde Tapes. He mentioned that they're like a family, and I have to believe that's true. You know? Um, and uh, uh, thank yeah. We're working on it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, this comes out every Friday. Check us out at tapedeckpodcast.com. We've got a whole bunch of stuff there. I'm going to go listen to some Silver Juice. I hope you guys have a really good day. Stay safe out there. Bye bye.